All right, well, so if you haven't heard yet, it's the new year almost, right? We've talked about that a few times already. Um, usually when I'm talking at this time of, of our calendar, um, it's a great time to focus on new things, on looking ahead and all of that. That's where our mindsets naturally go. And about this time last year, I talked about small beginnings. I talked about germinating seeds and things like that. And so my mind went there this time, but it kind of bugged me a little bit that it's the 31st, (laughs) that it's not actually the beginning of a new year, it's the end of an old year, and it just didn't sit right with me, it didn't fit. So I thought, why don't we instead talk about, instead of talking about small beginnings, why don't we talk about big endings? Um, Because beginnings and endings are inextricably linked in so many biblical stories, right? One thing leads to another. And so we're going to talk today about some big endings biblically and what application we can take from that now. We're going to take a look corporately at Israel um, during the time of their wilderness journey to talk about our big endings. So before I get started on that, just some things I want to say as I find myself using so much more stuff from the Old Testament and looking back at Israel and their example and applying that to us today. I just want to let you know that in my thinking, um, the church, we don't replace them. We don't, we're not here to replace Israel. God still has plans for them, but even Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we can learn from their mistakes. We can learn from the things that they did, particularly, especially how they continually missed God and <laughs> in so many stories, and how they sought after things that weren't from him. They sought after idols and all different sorts of things like that. So we can learn from those stories. We're similar in a lot of ways, many, many ways. Think about how we're similar. We have this relationship with the creator God. We get this awesome, restored relationship with him. We're set apart for him. I mean, we are just different As we walk through the world, we're different than the world. Yet, through the Great Commission, we are tasked with sharing the gospel and bringing more people back into restoration with God. We're the blessing vehicle as the church to share the glory of God, to be his representatives here on earth and preach his word to people. That's very similar to Israel and how they were supposed to be that conduit of blessing. You know, they were the chosen people, and at the same time, they were supposed to bring and restore the blessing of God to the nations. And remember how that blessing vehicle got derailed. It got derailed through legalism and through hypocrisy and adherence to tradition uh, rather than adhering to God himself. And the same risk is present today for the church. Um, We've all heard that narrative, and many of us have even experienced um, being ostracized or looked down upon by those that do have that special relationship with the Creator through Jesus um, and being condemned and looked down upon as like, well, you're just not good enough for all that. We don't want to fall into that same trap. So that's one way that we're really similar to them and things that we should think about. The next thing is, and this is really what I want to focus on today, is that Israel was waiting on their Messiah. They were waiting on the one to come. What are we doing? We're doing the same thing. We're waiting. We're waiting for the return of Jesus to rescue us from our exile in a broken world. And that kind of brings me to this whole bread of heaven situation. 
the bread of heaven. This happened in the Old Testament, and Jesus is the ultimate bread from heaven. So during the time of the exodus from Egypt, God provided for Israel in a lot of really amazing and miraculous ways, like their clothing and their shoes not wearing out, and the manna and the quail. We're going to talk about the manna today. I'm just going to read you this story from Exodus chapter 16. The Lord spoke to Moses. I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses told them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. So we'll skip forward to verse 31 in the same chapter. The house of Israel named the substance manna. It resembled coriander seed, was white, and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Two quarts of it are to be preserved throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So take note of that. Moses says, preserve some of this and put it aside with the ark as a reminder of what I did. Moses told Aaron, take a container and put two quarts of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be preserved throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron placed it before the testimony to be preserved. So what an incredible story. I mean, can you picture that now? Is this not the type of thing that Christians often long for? Miraculous stuff to happen. Like, we want to see God move in powerful ways in our midst today. What a powerful thing that food appears in the desert on the ground, and it sustains you for 40 years every day. <laughs> that is incredible. We, we haven't seen anything like that. And at the same time, it's got this paradoxical nature because the manna was a type it was this awesome, miraculous thing, but it had a fulfillment. It had something greater that was to come. And at the same time, it wasn't this small, inconsequential thing just because there was more to come in the promised land and just because there was more to come in Jesus. But at the same time, it had to come to an end. This thing of God, the manna, the way that he provided for them, it had to come to a close um, for them to move into the next thing, the thing to come, which was the promised land. Something else had to start. Let's just look at that real quick. Because it, it just abruptly ends when it's time for them to move into the next thing with God. Joshua chapter 5. While the Israelites camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month. The day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. And the day after they ate from the produce of the land, the manna ceased. Since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate from the crops of the land of Canaan that year. That's a big ending. <laughs> You've been eating this miraculous food in the desert for 40 years. And it, it's almost unceremonious. Like it just gets this stop. Well, that's over. Now we're going to do this. We're going to move into the next thing with God. So the miraculous provision happens, but they can't stay stuck on that. 
They can't stay stuck on this thing that he did if they're going to move into the real deal, which is the promised land. It has to end. They have to go forward with God. I think the thing that really gets my wheels turning about the manna is that it's paradoxical. It came to an end. It had a fulfillment, but a big deal was made of it. Remember, we read that section where God said, preserve this, preserve it, and put it with the testimony so that people will remember what I did for you when I brought you up out of Egypt. Why did he do that? If it was just something that was going to be fulfilled, why? Moses tells us why he did that. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is Moses talking. He said, he humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat which you and your ancestors had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So the purpose of preserving this is so that you will remember what I did, and that's going to tell you that you don't live just on this bread alone, but that you live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Important lesson, right? It's not about the thing. That's what God is teaching them. It's not about the physical thing. It's not about this physical manifestation. It's about God himself. It's about who he is. Less about what he does in a particular situation and more about who he is. What is the word proceeding from his mouth in a given situation? Because that word comes from who he is. And that's what we cling to, is his character, his attributes. Not so much what he's doing in any situation, and those things are miraculous and awesome, and we praise and glorify him for them. But he is our rock. He is what we hang on to. And I've heard this type of thinking referred to as seeking God's face instead of seeking his hand. Let's seek his face and who he is. Let's stake our claim there instead of just the things that happen, the physical manifestations that happen. Whatever the circumstances were for Israel as they wandered in the wilderness, and even after that, they were to follow God. They had to follow him, and they had to trust that his love, his mercy, his faithfulness, his justice would manifest itself no matter what those circumstances looked like. Because whatever the word is proceeding from his mouth, it's not always going to look like manna. So maybe stop just looking for the manna. Maybe just listen for what the, new, what the word is that's proceeding from his mouth. The danger is to see the thing as the saving grace and not see God himself as the saving grace. He is the one that's faithful. He is the one that's doing the things. And we look to him instead of just hoping that things will just repeat themselves. There's this verse that's quoted a lot when we talk about in Christian circles. When we talk about the things that God has done and what we want to see him do in the future. And it kind of cracks me up because of the way this is worded. I think it's a really great example of this paradoxical nature that it's not so much about what he is going, the physical thing he's going to do, but who he is. I think this sums it up well here in Isaiah chapter 43. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the surging waters, who brings out the chariots and horses, 
the armies and warriors together to lie down, never to rise again, to be extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Do not call to mind the former things. Pay no attention to the things of old. Behold, I'm about to do something new. Even now it's coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. I've heard that quoted a lot. I'm going to do something new. Do you not see it? And what I think is really important is all the stuff that's around it because it informs us about what, why is he saying that? <laughs> what, is, what does he mean? So this is Isaiah here. And you look at this, what do you see? You see a lot of the recalls to the exodus out of Egypt. Look at the, uh, he makes a path through the sea, through the surging waters. There's chariots and horses and armies, and they're swallowed up by the sea. They lie down, never to rise again. They're extinguished. And in the, in the end here, I'll make a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. These are all callbacks to the time when Israel was going out of Egypt and their wilderness wanderings. But he says, he says, and Isaiah here is prophesying about the deliverance and the redemption of Israel that's going to happen again because they're um, going to go into exile. But he says, don't remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. But then he goes on to describe the new things in the terms of old things. <laughs> it's like, what is the point of that? What point is he trying to make by saying, don't remember that. I'm going to do something new. I'm describing it in old terms, though. That's very interesting to me. It's a good demonstration that the new thing that God is going to do in this instance has everything to do with his character as deliverer, as faithful to his people, and not has to do with performing the exact same acts of parting the sea, of bringing the manna and the quail. It has everything to do with who he is. He's going to make a way in the wilderness, but it won't be with manna and quail. (laughs) It's not going to be the exact same thing. The new thing that is being talked about was ultimately Jesus and the new spiritual exodus out of captivity that Jesus makes possible through his blood for all of humanity. Did Israel as a nation perceive it? Did they know? They didn't. They missed it, right? They didn't, they didn't perceive it. And part of that, that happened for a lot of reasons, but partly it was because they were looking back at the acts of God that he had performed on their behalf and they were awaiting those same acts. They were just looking for what's the repeat. We just want to see you do what you've done before. I mean, think about how they constantly sought this like military deliverance, the revolutionary takeover that was going to free them from Roman oppression. They were looking for that. They'd experienced it before. And they disregarded Jesus because he was incapable of performing that very act. They thought, well, you can't be the savior because you're not politically powerful and you're not going to free us from Roman oppression. So who are you? And they completely missed it. So what can we take from this? What lesson can we draw from this as the church, corporately? Well, we're awaiting our Messiah, like I said before, just like they were. But when he returns this time, we're not going to miss him. Scripture makes that clear. Like, you are not going to miss him. He says, don't worry about even missing me. Don't worry when someone says he's over here, you're going to miss him. It's like, you're not going to miss me. No one is going to. But in the meantime, (laughs) 
as we wait on him, I think it's very possible for us to miss him and what he's doing now in smaller ways. Because we too are expecting the same acts that we've seen him do before. We're expecting him to come back and manifest himself in the same ways that we've seen before. Our expectation of him can become too rooted in familiarity and nostalgia. Human beings are so darn good at wanting to relive the best of their days. And we can even do that with God. We can desperately seek to repeat the things that we've had before. And I don't think that God is particularly nostalgic like we are. I mean, do you think that God is up there with the sons of God, with the divine counsel, just thinking, man, let's listen to my best hits album because those were my jams. And I'm going to go back and just do that again because I just got a hankering for all of those good times. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> he, I don't think he's nostalgic for his old acts like we are. He's just doing out of who he is. And that's what he's always done. And that's not always going to look like manna. He's just going to act out of his character, his wisdom to do his will. And as I think about this type of behavior, about how we can get so caught up in the things that we've already experienced, what comes to mind for me is the picture of a person that's walking backwards. So think of it like this. You're, you're going along. I told myself not to walk backward, actually, in these shoes, but I'm going to do it. And I feel like I'm going to fall. But you're walking along, and you come to this point in your Christian walk where God does something. Maybe it's corporately or it's personally in your life, and it's a big thing. It's huge, and it changes everything and affects you deeply. But it comes to an end. You know, he's going to move, he's going to do something else. You're, you're going to go forward with him. You're going to take the fruit of what he did there because it matters. And you're going to continue to go forward with him. So you're walking along and that thing happens and it ends. And instead of continuing to walk forward with him, you turn around to look at the thing and you start to walk backward. And that is the picture I have in my head. Now, what happens when you walk backward? You stumble at best. You're just going to stumble into whatever is to come because you, you can't see it. You can't proceed with wisdom with God because you're walking backward. You're just looking at that thing that he did. And I think the worst part of this is that it can happen unbeknownst to us. We can do it and not even know we're doing it because you have the perception that you're still moving forward because you're being carried along by time. Things are still happening, but you're just not perceiving that you're walking backward. You're being carried along into the future, but you can't really participate in what God is doing next unless you're facing the direction that he is, <laughs> unless you're looking forward into the things that he's looking at. When we're walking backwards, we can miss stuff. We cannot even recognize something he's doing. We can completely mischaracterize it and say, well, this is the enemy, or this is just chance or happenstance or whatever, and it really could be something God's doing, you know, because we're not perceiving it. We're not looking forward into the same direction that he is. So how do we do this? What, 
what's the application as far as, you know, how do we do this as the church? One thing that came to my mind, and I just submit this to you to think about, if you think it makes no sense, that's okay too. Um, I was thinking about how we do church, like how we do our corporate gathering as the church. Uh, We've recently, in recent years, experienced a real disruption in how we do church, how we meet corporately in our ability to get together with all the COVID restrictions. And I think about, instead of focusing on, we've got to get back to the way we've always done it. It's like, well, maybe what's the new word proceeding from God's mouth? What, what could a new thing, what else could it be doing? You know, or are we just walking backwards looking at the old thing when we could still be flourishing and thriving as the body of Christ, no matter what the conditions are? because he's more than capable of that, right? That's what we've talked about so much today. What what else could he be doing? And instead of focusing on how we've encountered God corporately over all of these years and getting back to that, let's listen to him and what he could be saying. And I think that as we've seen that happen once, and we talk about the future and who knows when the timing of things are, but I mean, it's very possible that that could happen again and that we'd have to conceive of new ways of how to exist as the body of Christ. And um, the message of the gospel and the Holy Spirit are subversive. <laughs> They're unstoppable. So no matter what comes against that message, it doesn't matter. The message is always going to continue. The body of Christ is going to survive The church is going to prevail until Jesus returns. We know that's the truth. So how? (laughs) It's going to happen. I just want to be able to hear how and participate in that because it's going to be powerful and amazing. You know, maybe the structure of the church changes and there's less centralized leadership. And Christians really have to rise up in their own faith and be the body to each other in these smaller groups or something. I mean, it looks that way in a lot of other places that aren't here. We have the luxury of being able to be in this room together, but maybe it won't always be that way. So I don't want to get stuck walking backwards and stumbling and missing opportunities for God to do really amazing things in difficult circumstances, because that's cool to be able to participate in things like that. And I think you could think about this too. I'll leave this with you. You know, as you go forward into your week and just pray and ask the Lord, Lord, is there a way that personally in my life I'm walking backward? Is there something that I'm not taking my eyes off of that's causing me to not face the same direction that you are? Uh, Because I think it's a good lesson for us personally too, to think about our lives and and how that could look for us. And um, what's... What's, is there a new word proceeding from his mouth for you? What do you need to turn around and look at? Or are you facing the right direction? <laughs> um, that's all for today, so let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, it's amazing to me that we get to walk with you. Um, that you can reach right down into the mess of humanity and a broken world, and that you can do anything. Lord, it is all to your glory. 
And it's amazing, Lord. We just want to participate with you. I pray that you would give us revelation. Make us uh, see whether or not we're facing the right direction, Lord, because we want to be going forward with you. We want you uh, to be glorified, Lord. We just pray that your will would be done, Lord. And we pray that it would be here on earth as it is in heaven. And we are not going to put constraints on what that looks like or what that might mean, Lord. We just want you to do it. And we trust you because you're so faithful and you've proved it over and over and over again. And who are we to question it, Lord? So we put all of our hope and our trust in you and your wisdom. And we just say, lead us forward. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.